You're listening to What It's Like with Luce, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and on today's episode, I'm speaking with lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of Bournemouth Sevens Festival, and podcast host. Growing up above pubs in London, this week's guest was a born entrepreneur. From a young age, he had a natural business mindset, which he carried through to his adult life, resulting in him being responsible for hosting 14 festivals and 1,500 events. From starting out in nightlife promotions as a final year student to setting up the world's largest sport and music festival, this week's guest has quite the story to tell. Sharing his insights into successful branding, taking risks and the power of keeping things simple, here's what it's like to be Roger Woodall. Thank you so much, Roger, for joining me today. Um, I'm so excited to get stuck into your story. But before we go into the details of everything that you've done in terms of your career and all of that, I'd be interested to hear a bit about what you were like growing up and whether this entrepreneurial spirit that you have has always been there. Yeah, I grew up above pubs in London as a young kid. So it was uh, you were around a lot of adults the whole time. So you're around a lot of characters, you're around a lot of you know, I lived above the pub, the two-bed flat above the pub. So you're around a lot of naughty people downstairs in the pub, lots of fun people, lots of characters, lots of people wheeling and dealing, lots of people buying and selling. And, uh, you know, we had a nightclub next door to us, next door to the pub. I had one wall, I had my bedroom, and then one wall with a, a nightclub of a thousand people in there next door. So you grow up very, very quickly. And um, I grew up around a lot of adults and um, maybe saw a lot of things kids shouldn't see at that age, but I loved it absolutely loved it and uh, yes where my entrepreneurial spirit spirit come from and um, allowed me to set up businesses as a 10 year old Um, you know I'd go to the nightclub next door on a Saturday and buy 20 tickets off the manager for a pound each and then I'd go into my dad's pub next door at between 10 and 11 o'clock in the evening and sell all those tickets for two pounds each but the ticket they got would get them queue jump so it saved them queuing with a thousand people. It got them VIP queue jump. So everyone was a winner. So I learned from a very young age that business is all about creating a win-win situation. And, uh, you know, as a 10 year old to win 20 pounds in, you know, an hour's work, you know, I felt like a king. I felt like a multimillionaire at that age. And uh, it's just grown from there. Really. It's funny, at 30 years old, I'm still selling tickets and doing VIP tickets. And, but the numbers just got bigger as you got older. When you were entering college I know you were really heavily involved in rugby and sports and things like that but when you had to make the decision to focus more heavily on business or how you discovered that that was going to be your path rather than say going down pursuing rugby as a career so really my 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 proper business world started in my final year at university um there was a local nightclub I went to Loughborough Sports University and I was one of the main faces on campus um, being a rugby boy in my final year and um, the local nightclub had a thousand people in there every Wednesday and they used to charge two pounds to get in. And I approached them at the start of the year saying, how about you keep two pound? We put a pound on top. So the customer pays three pound. I keep the pound, you keep the two pound and I'll get more students near every single Wednesday. So they agreed to that. So I guaranteed myself a thousand pounds each week and we got the numbers up to 2000 capacity. So I got 2000 pounds every single Wednesday as a student Wow. Um, yeah. And this was back in 1999. Um, I also uh, took on another club in Wandsworth in London uh, on the Tuesday night. And that was another thousand pounds. So as a student in my final year, I was coming out three grand a week cash, um, putting on student parties. And um, that happened every single Tuesday and Wednesday for my whole final year. So 
I literally hit the jackpot at a very young age and saw a huge gap in the market. I saw a great opportunity to become a pioneer in the, in the student promotions world as a promoter. Um, and I did that for a year. And when I finished my PE sports science degree, um, which I had no interest in, if I was honest with you, I was just always about looking how I can create a business when I finished. I didn't want to go and get a job. Um, so I created a brand uh, in year 2000 in the dot-com boom. Um, we created a website and we called the brand, the student uh, nightclub brand, called it popyourcherry.com. Like um, <laughs> and it was the two cherries from Pasha, you know, the Pasha logo. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used that and um, yeah, we, we grew we grew that business and scaled it up to 12 cities, uh, 12 parties in nightclubs in different cities all around the UK every week. And we did that for 10 years um, where we take the door money. Uh, we put in a thousand to two thousand students in every nightclub. We take the door money at three, four pound a four pound a pop, and um, put on all the entertainment, the DJs, and and all the all the acts and everything we used to do there. And that's how we grew our business, and we scaled it up to to uh, one thousand five hundred parties in the end in nightclubs all across the UK, from Manchester to Brighton to London to all over. That's so impressive. And as you said there, as a student, I mean, that kind of money is what dreams are made of at that time. Um, And so I suppose you said you did it for 10 years and I know that you've done so many other things since then. So where was the turning point for you or the moment where you might've felt like you'd given all you could give to that space or you were interested in, in pursuing new interests? How did that come about where the shift came? Yeah. Yeah. The shift came, I started in 1999 and the shift came and I launched a festival in 2008, but the shift came about 2006, 2007, um, in the nightclubs back then, everyone used to smoke. The whole nightclub used to be everyone smoking. And all of a sudden the government brought a smoking ban in, which means people had to go outside the nightclub in the cold and the rain and the snow, whatever it may be, and have a cigarette outside. And that, that sort of changed the atmosphere a little bit and changed the experience for the customer. And at the same time, the government brought in late licensing. So it allowed all the bars, all the feeder bars before they'd come to your nightclub, it allowed those bars to stay open past 11 o'clock. Um, they would stay open till one, two o'clock and that would then compete with our club. So all these small bars, like feeder bars, like 20 or 30 of them in a city, will hold on to their customers till midnight, one o'clock. Um, I put little dance floors in their bars and stuff. So all these things started to trigger for me. And it was something that I thought, something's happened here. I need to look at, uh, I've had a brilliant run in this for 10 years. I need to look at the next new business model and how can I be a pioneer of something new? And um, that was the next step up after throwing thousands of parties. The next step up was to say, okay, well, let's, um, let's look at doing a festival. And so obviously that festival was Bournemouth Sevens, which I think is such a cool concept and I might be mistaken, but I don't think there was anything like it at the time when you established it. So can you take me back to 2008 when you've decided to come up with this festival idea and how you took it from paper to reality? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was was me and a mate of mine sat on Bournemouth Beach having a beer and uh, we saw a number of music festivals all around the UK back then. And there was probably like 15 big music festivals back then. You know, your Glastonbury's, your Reading, your Leeds, festivals you know there wasn't like the amount of festivals there are today around the UK Um, and I just saw an opportunity again in the last recession in 2008 which people were scared of recession I just thought why don't I launch a festival in a recession 
um, because that's where the opportunity is. And I also realized that there was no one doing a sport and music festival. So again, I wanted to be a pioneer and say, well, how can I amalgamate sport, which has been all my, which has been my life for, for 30 years? Um, and how can I make amalgamate that we're creating a music festival at the same time? So I come up with the idea of creating Bournemouth Sevens. So we had Sevens Rugby um and it just grew very very quickly and um but i also went in there a lot of naivety lucy um the naivety was you know my my skill set was that i knew how to throw an amazing party and 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 get people loving that experience and wanting back wanting to come back for more um i was also really well connected in the sports world so I thought if I mix my well, well, all my connections with throwing a great party, I could put a great big party in the field. Um, but little did I know that there was a lot of expenses with putting on a festival. And, um, you know, I didn't know about police and licensing and council and how much marquees and uh, audio would cost and DJs and bands and uh, Wi-Fi and carpets and flooring and toilets and showers it just, the list just went on and on and on and these were all bills that needed to be paid and I was thinking I was going to pay for it post festival once you bring all the money in then you can pay everyone off but my naivety was I ran out of money six months before the festival was opening its doors um, because everyone wanted the money up front so that was a massive shock and uh, the but obviously being in a recession back then you know banks weren't loaning any money you know, where'd you go? It's like, I'm a hundred thousand pounds in by now in 2008, with six months to go. And within a week, all the money had gone because it had been paid out to marquee companies deposits and all the, all the suppliers and contractors that were there to, and the venue, you know, venue hire. And that was a real wake up call. It was like, Oh my God, do I walk away from a hundred thousand pounds now? Or do I go for it? still go for it and I had no doubt in my mind I was still going for it but I needed to find uh, a load more money um, and I turned to my wife one day I was like there's no other option but we've got to remortgage this house and you know that's a real tough conversation to have with your wife you know so um, I was I'm a risk taker and I enjoy risk I enjoy pressure I enjoy the buzz of everything my, my wife is totally risk averse you know, we're very opposite to each other. And that's why we get on so well. But you know, that was a really difficult conversation to have. And when you remortgage your house and you don't know how many people are going to turn up, because you got to remember back in 2008, there was no social media. Um, there yeah, was no people putting their... That. Yeah, of course. So there's people who didn't have credit cards. People had credit cards and, and direct debit cards. But back then, people wouldn't put their details into a into a website to pay you because it just wasn't the thing it wasn't to be done back then everyone had the fear so we remortgaged the house and we didn't know whether we we're going to lose our house or not until the weekend of that festival so leading up to that festival about four months you know my wife poor fleur she was you know she was in tears four or five nights a week in bed going what are we doing what have we done you know and i was like just trust me we're going to make this work because that's all i had was my own belief <laughs> Um, and luckily it worked and that's why I'm here today 14 years on with a festival of 30,000 people partying and 400 competing teams and and um, a lot of press and Sky TV and everything else that goes with it and um, but they were real tough tough times and it just wasn't year one that was tough 
it was year two, year three, year four, year five. And then you realize you really break the back of it and you're onto something because when you're creating a business and creating a brand, you're constantly tweaking and improving, tweaking and improving and learning. You know, there was no, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have someone who's done a sport and music festival before. So there was no, there was no blueprint. I was making up my own blueprint as I was going along and, um, Going back to the going back to it, it, naivety in business can be very, very good. And because you just go for it and you make it work. Yeah, I think that's an incredible story. And I always love to hear the behind the scenes because I feel like it's so easy for people to forget that there was hard times when you look at it from a successful point of view where it is now. But and you spoke yeah. there about, you know, belief and how you are a risk taker. Do you think that that's something that people are just have or they don't or do you think it's something that you can cultivate and nurture within yourself in terms of you know i'm just thinking about you back in those times how did you mentally keep pushing through all these barriers when everything was kind of stacked against you to say this isn't going to work i was just brought up like that i was brought up with uh you know i was living living above pubs in, in a two-bed flat above pubs in london it's tough, you know, you, you grow up tough. You know, you're around adults, you see stuff that you shouldn't be seeing as a kid. You grow up tough, you understand, you just crack on. You know, there wasn't none of this, um, I'm, you know, students, some students these days go, oh, mum and dad, I'm going traveling for two years to go and find myself. You know, I would never, <laughs> I couldn't have said that all those years ago, you know, I'm going to find myself and come back, you know, with a new, it was just get up and do it. You know, put in a shift, put in the hard graft, do your homework, do your marketing, do your promotion create a brand, all the simple things that people forget these days. And, you know, it was just, I enjoyed risk. I've had risk all my life uh, from a young kid. So it wasn't different to me. It was all it was, was the numbers were bigger and the risk was crazy. So anyone listening, do not remortgage your house to put on a massive festival in a field. Trust me. And, you know, you know, it's, um, I mentor other entrepreneurs and uh, the biggest thing I, I teach them is, Make sure if you take a risk, it's calculated. My one was not calculated at all. Yeah. But that excited me because I thought I could be the pioneer of something new, a sport and music festival. And, um, you know, I'm lucky to sit here now and, and look back and go, God, I'm glad I took that uncalculated risk. Um, but yeah, I've gone through a lot of amazing years and I've learned a hell of a lot Lucy over the years you know I went in there not thinking I know everything but you've got to learn quickly because this is a whole new world because you're dealing with six or seven revenue streams when putting on a festival when putting on parties in nightclubs you're dealing with one revenue stream and that's the door money the ticket money when you go into a, into a festival you're dealing with six or seven revenue streams from ticket money to glamping and camping to sponsorship, to all the caterers that pay you money to be at the festival, to the upgrades, to VIP and VVIP, and to the bar money, you know? So there's amazing revenue streams that could be had when putting on a live event. Um, but there's also a hell of a lot of outlay and risk compared to throwing on parties in a nightclub. Because you gotta remember, when you're as a promoter of a nightclub, you're doing that weekly night, every single week in Manchester, or every single week in Birmingham or Leicester, my outlay was not, my outlay was just to get people into the club, the marketing 
and the promotion and building teams of people up in different cities and 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 paying for the DJs. It wasn't a lot. Well, you think about it. I would go there. The toilets were there. The lighting was there. The DJ box was there. The bars were stocked. The security were there. Everything was landed on a plate for you. So when you're putting it on a field, nothing's landed on a plate for you. You've just got 67 acres of green land. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other ball game. But, um, yeah. you know, you, you did it and you were successful in it, which is amazing. And so you mentioned there, you know, you didn't have social media or anything like that. I know you were quite well connected within the world. And obviously you did have that background a little bit in, or not a little bit, a lot in promotions and things like that. But how do you think or what do you think it was about what you were trying to sell to people that created that buzz and made people want to buy tickets to this new thing they'd never heard of before and, you know, spend some of their summer there. I wanted to recreate something that me and my mates would like. What would be a perfect weekend for someone like myself who loves sport, loves partying, loves being around people, loves bringing people together. And I, you know, I brought, you know, over a million people together over the years. And, and I just saw an opportunity to say, if I can create something that I like, quick bar service, fancy dress, good fun, great music that everyone loves, all the hits, all the, you know, with sport, it's basically recreating what it's like when people were in their sixth form at school or then they go to uni and it's recreating that feeling of a Wednesday night, that camaraderie across hockey, netball, all the sports. Actually, when they leave uni, there was nothing there. People leave uni and go, oh, my uni days were the best days of my life. But actually, what we're doing and what we've created was to say, well, when they finish uni, we can still create that uni feeling, that camaraderie, but in a field down in Bournemouth. And that's the, that was the opportunity that I saw. And, and for me, it wasn't about all about lineups and booking the biggest DJs and the most expensive bands. It was about creating an experience that they leave and say, that's the best weekend of my life. And that was the ultimate goal. And we believe now that's what we've achieved. And we are constantly improving every single year because we know people are wanting to come back for more and bring more friends. So that's how it's grown over the years. Yeah, it's definitely a really cool concept. And in terms of that growth and in terms of, you know, with every business, I feel like it might be a bittersweet thing when you grow because does it feel like you're losing a part of it every time it gets bigger and bigger because obviously you have to involve more people, maybe outsource a bit more. What's your experience like in terms of having experienced a business that has grown to such magnitudes from something that you started with just, you know, two of you you sitting on a beach over a beer? Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. When you grow a business and you do it correctly, there's too many people out there these days that I find very difficult as an entrepreneur, never had a job in my life as, I look now and see young startups starting. The first thing they do for is look for funding, look for investment, get VCs on board to chuck in a million pounds. And it's like the ultimate goal is to go and get money, easy money, you know, and business isn't easy. You've got to remember that, you know, 50% of businesses fail in 18 months, 50%, you know, 80% fail in five years. You know, these are huge, huge numbers. These statistics don't favor the startup or the entrepreneur. They don't favor. So when growing a business, it's important you grow it slowly. You know, everyone wants instant gratification these days across social media platforms. But as a business, you can't. The key to business for me is creating a brand. A brand is something that they talk about when you're not in the room. 
They talk about your brand when you're not in the room. You know you've got a strong brand. A prime example now is that businesses come and go. Brands don't. Brands can stay for a long, long time if you get the brand right and you get the, the, the belief of the customers and the trust of your people and you nurture your people and then they feel connected to you as the owner or connected to your team, you know, and, and again, I go back to simplicity. I keep business really simple, Lucy, and these key attributes are, are key in business. Do you think that the key to building a successful brand is that connectivity that you mentioned there or breaking down that barrier with your consumer? What would you say is the number one thing to, to building a lasting brand? The experience of the customer from customer service for them picking up the phone to your office, wanting to buy tickets that you've got lovely people on the end of the line who are talking the same language, you know, with an upbeat feel, but you remember we're a cool, we're a cool business. So people want to be associated with us. You know, we're not selling double glazing or, or, or accountancy or whatever. So it's kind of, it helps. Um, people want to be at the festival. People want to be part of it. People want to show off to their mates to say, oh, I've been to Bournemouth seven, nine times on a trot. You know, the amount of repeat business we get is, is unbelievable because people love coming back to it because they have a cracking weekend. And um, yeah, it's trust. It really is trust. that they, they know they're going to get a brilliant weekend. So, and they leave with a smile on their face. Because you know they're going to tell 10, 20 friends the day after. You know they're going to plaster it all across their social media platforms. And it's only going to help your brand to sell tickets the following year. You know, so it's a high-risk business, uh, risking your whole year on three days to earn all your money. But it's high reward when you get it right. Yeah, definitely. And... I mean, you have Bournemouth Sevens, but I think you're also involved in, you know, a lot of other things, including podcasts as well. So how do you keep yourself? I'm sure that you have so much to keep yourself busy with outside of those three days a year. But what does the rest of the year look like for you as an entrepreneur? Well, I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur, Lucy. So I'm not here to build an empire. I don't want 30, 50, 100 staff. I've got 10 full-time staff. And that really works for my lifestyle. You know, I like to holiday a lot, you know, because it is a seasonal business that you gear up to your uh, the Maybank holiday weekend every year. It's different this year in August because we've moved the date due to COVID. But um, it's important that my team are all really, really happy. It's important that they've got freedom and they're entrepreneurs within the business. They can come and go when they want. And, and But they're all amazing at what they do. And it, I build it like a rugby team. You can't have 10 fly halves. You've got to have a hooker, you've got to have a second row, you've got to have a, night, a, a back row, you've got to have a playmaker, and number 10, you've got to have the, the, your, your, your girl or boy on the wing. Everyone's got their own skill set, and it's about how you can nurture that and bring it all together and make them feel really part of the business because we're privately owned, Lucy. So, you know, we've had people come and make us big offers, but I don't want to be told what to do by someone just because there's a load of noughts in your bank account. So, you know, we've kept it that way, and we're always going to keep it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I only started going back to your original question. I only started podcasting six months ago, um, wow. due to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And that's gone, it's, it's gone, you know, I've kept myself private for, for all my life. And, um, when COVID happened, all my staff are saying, Dodge, Dodge, you've got to go public. You've got to let know people know your story. And I was like, Oh no, that's not for me. Anyway, I went public and did a, a podcast and, I just told my story and it went viral and I was like, Oh my God, people really like this. So we set up the brand 
you know, I kept talking about personal brand, personal brand. I didn't want to do it around my name because um, I, I felt uncomfortable with that. So we come up with the, the personal brand called The Eventful Entrepreneur due to what I've been doing all my life. And um, we created a podcast and I've invited some really cool guests on my podcast who are friends of mine. And when you start seeing the iTunes, Apple reviews, the written ones, you know you're onto something really special when people are writing crazy polite nice reviews about the podcast and um that's really inspired me to keep going so we do we release a new episode every wednesday um and i'm interviewing sporting icons and entrepreneurs and um comedians and rock stars and it's just been great it's been really really good and i only get people on my show who are cool real say how it is no jargon and we just have a wicked conversation for an hour that's mental that you've only been doing it for six months, considering the caliber yeah. of people that you've had on. I didn't realize that. Um, congrats yeah. to you because it's a really great show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so obviously you said you've been an entrepreneur your whole life. It's almost, it sounds like it was in your DNA from, you know, the minute you, you could walk. Do you think that there is another business in you or are you content with what you've got going on at the moment? Well, on the back of me launching the Eventful Entrepreneur podcast, um, we, I got a phone call about eight weeks ago from uh, a chap who's the executive producer of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And it was a private number on my phone, come through on a Sunday, on a Monday, sorry, and said, can I come and meet you? We've listened to your podcast. Can I come and have a chat with you? And I thought, sure. So he come down the next day and said, um, we've listened to the podcast. We love it. Would you like to be a co-host of a new of the new show that we're about to tell you. I was like, well, what is it called? They went, it's the Harry Redknapp show. That's so cool. I was like, oh my God, of course I'll be uh, the co-host. So lo and behold me, I'm, I'm Harry Redknapp's co-host. Harry's the host. And we've just interviewed some really cool people over the last 10, 12 weeks from Piers Morgan to Rod Stewart, to Eddie Hearn, to Frank Lampard. It's just been Ramesh Ranganathan, Eddie heard it's just gone on the list has gone on and we've had a real good laugh. So I signed the contract for that. Um, and we've been cracking on with that for the last 10, 12 weeks, which has been great fun. Yeah. That's so cool. So that's been good. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think it's so funny when you get those, those phone calls or you hear people talk about those phone calls, if they're a private number, you know, they always say, I almost didn't answer it because I didn't know who it was yeah. going to be and things like yeah. that. So you should always answer your phone. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. And, and since then, since COVID's happened, we've launched in this new course, a new events course, an online events course. It's called uh, the event crowd. Um, and I saw an opportunity to be a pioneer again of, I saw that, car companies were constantly improving. Apple was constantly improving. Watch companies were constantly improving. But what I realized was universities weren't constantly improving. And what I realized that the universities is actually a massive, massive business. Um, and a business that is an unbelievable amount of money it costs for a student to go to university for three years. And I found out it was £27,000 in tuition fees. Yep. And I found out the average student leaves university with £50,000 of debt around their neck before they start their business life. And I was in shock. And I thought, hold on a minute. I knew there was a massive myth. You had to go and do an event management degree 
or a business management degree or a sport management degree to get into the events industry. And I knew you didn't. So we have built this course, um, an online course that can take you three months um, at a fraction of the price, at a fraction of the time that will get you diplomas and certificates that will allow you to get into the events industry. That's so cool because, yeah, as you're saying, I, I have that debt as well. So I'm enjoying life with that. But it is crazy how quickly the world is evolving and trying to make things more accessible for everyone. And then it's the traditional institutions that are supposed to prepare you for your career that seem to be stuck and, and not taking on any new initiatives or anything like that. 100% Lucy, you've got to remember that event management students are being taught from people who weren't in events and their the lecturers are reading out of a book that was written 20 years ago. Madness. Madness. So what I've done is I've brought in 40 of the industry experts of people who put on Boardmasters Festival, Glastonbury, uh, the Olympics, London Marathon, um, wedding companies, uh, conferences. I brought them all in. The industry experts who are in the industry today who are giving guest talks for an hour. So there's 600 years of experience on our course, the, events, the event crowd. 600 years experience that someone can do in three months and leave there with a diploma that they can walk into any events company around the country to say, oh my God, I've done the diploma from the event crowd. Wow, that sounds, it, it sounds like a win-win um, from that it's perspective. Huge win-win. Yeah. 2,000 pounds for the course or £27,000 to do a three-year degree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it sounds Crazy. like such a simple choice when you put it that way. Um, yep. And I, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of success with that. And so, you know, you've listed off a lot of things you have going on at the moment. And then obviously you have your festival as well. And you've achieved so much along the way. So what is the ultimate goal? What Do you have kind of an end place that you're, you're always reaching to? Or is it just day by day? There is no goal. There is no goal. The quicker people realize there's, there's no destination. There is no destination. People take that out of their mind. It's the journey. It's the fun we're having today, living in the present. When we're constantly looking in the future, you know, this whole country puts fear upon us. When you're constantly looking in the past, people are dealing with guilt. If you're living in the present, you're living today, you're living, you're living a really good life. So in business, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the highs and the lows and the pressures. If you can learn to enjoy the pressures and the lows, the highs are even better. <laughs> you know, it's really simple. It's really, really simple. But make sure you do something, whether it's yourself, Lucy, or anyone else listening, that you're passionate about. I couldn't think of anything worse getting out of bed, knowing I'm going to a job that I do not enjoy. When you know you're on this planet for 80 years and time's ticking, and then when you're sitting in an old people's home when you're 70-odd, 80-odd, looking back going, I've got regret why I didn't take the opportunity. I've got regret why I didn't set up my own business. I've got regret on why, why, why regret. I don't want to have that feeling. Anyone listening shouldn't have that feeling. So if you're passionate about something, please follow that. It's key. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think it's always so valuable to hear that coming from someone that, as you demonstrated throughout the course of this conversation, went through the lows, you know, just as much as the highs. But you're now sitting and living the life that you want to live every day as opposed to something that you have to do. And I feel like you have already answered this, you know, throughout the course of our chat. But I do just want to ask if you had to give 
one piece of advice to your 10 year old self, if you could go back and sit in front of that kid, what is the one thing you felt like you had to say to him? Follow your passion, do something that makes you happy. Why would you do something that doesn't make you happy? <laughs> I never <laughs> understand it. And, and if you're, I just don't understand it. Why would it even go into someone's mind? Do things that make you happy because it's not about money. It's not about, listen, we've all got bills to pay. Don't get me wrong. But having a free mind and being happy is a much better place to be than not having a free mind of negativity and doing something you don't enjoy. So keep it simple and find out what makes you happy, first of all. But some people, a lot of people have to realise what makes them happy. Not a lot of people realise what might make them happy. Yeah. Um, happiness is key. Happiness. Happy, happy, happy. Yeah. I feel I, I love that. And I, I think this conversation has almost felt like a reality check in a sense that, you know, stop overcomplicating things is kind of what I'm getting from you and just simply figure out what it is that you like and go with it. Because I feel like in this, how everyone's living at the moment, maybe it's because we're so consumed online and all this kind of thing. There just seems to be so much going on all the time. Everything seems to be made out to be more complicated than it is. So it's refreshing to hear a successful mm -hmm. person say it's about simplicity. 100% keep everything simple. I work hard on keeping my business simple. I work hard at keeping my life simple. Think about it. Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. And you know, even in that, there's so much to unpick in that. But I do just want to take this opportunity to thank you so much for giving up your time. I know you're so busy, but um, I really appreciate you letting me pick your brain for a bit. So thank you so much, Roger. No worries at all, Lucy. I think you present yourself very, very well. And I wish you all the best in whatever you look to do moving forward. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please rate, share and leave a comment if you like what you hear. And don't forget to follow at What It's Like Pod on Instagram and Facebook. To find out more about Roger and his businesses, visit the links provided in the show notes. I'll be back next week with more inspiring stories. But for now, this has been What It's Like with Luce.